He's recognized as one of the fathers of artificial intelligence. Yashua Bengio's work in the 1990s and 2000s has contributed to the foundations of chatbots like OpenAI's ChatGPT and Google's Bard. Born in France in 1964, Bengio grew up in Canada, where he began programming at age 11, inspired by science fiction literature and TV shows. Today, Bengio is one of the biggest voices warning the world about the necessity of having control and regulations on AI technology. More than fearing machines turning evil, Bengio is more concerned about how humans might use artificial intelligence to harm others. In March, he and other prominent AI scientists signed a letter urging tech companies to pause AI development until the industry can agree on regulations. And alongside leading AI personalities Dario Amode and Stuart Russell, he testified before a U.S. congressional hearing, warning that the frantic pace of AI development, in the wrong hands, could be used to create biological weapons. So, is AI an existential threat to humanity, or is it a tool that will transform our lives for the better? Computer scientist Joshua Bengio talks to Al Jazeera. So why does the whole world seem to be talking about AI right now? What's changed? I had been reading about the potential dangers of uh, losing control of AI for the last decade, but I didn't pay too much attention because I thought that it was so far into the future, decades or even centuries, because the systems we've been building in academia are really, really stupid. I discovered the idea of neural networks, um, in other words, research in artificial intelligence that is inspired by the brain when I was looking for a subject for my graduate studies in 1985. And it was a passion right away. I, I thought this was really uh, something I wanted to do. Um, I was excited by the idea that there would be a few simple principles, just like the laws of physics, that could you know help us understand intelligence and build intelligent machines. So I was interested in also like how the brain works, as well as AI. And in those days, the idea that intelligence could be understood by a few mathematical principles, if you want, was very marginal. But the last few decades really give us a lot of evidence that uh, it's probably true which uh, means it's easier than people thought in those days to build intelligent machines and to understand the brain. And in the last few years, what's happened is um, because of the billions of dollars that are being put into deep learning by industry, uh, we have collectively discovered that the larger we make those systems, the better they are. So it doesn't stop getting better. And more recently, with uh, generative AI, both of images and texts, we've passed a kind of qualitative threshold. So it's not just like, oh, it gets better. But now it's like as good as us at painting a picture and understanding language to some extent that fools at least most of us most of the time. So that's extraordinary. That, that, that 
you know, uh, in 1950, Alan Turing, maybe you could call the father of computer science, uh, designed this test that, you know, was thinking we would have reached human level intelligence if we can build machines that we interact with and we can't say if it's a machine or a human. Actually, we know that the current AI systems are still lacking some things, at least I and many others think so, but uh, we might not be very far from, from that uh, level of uh, capacity. And the artificial intelligences that are being developed now, what's different about them? If you look at systems like ChatGPT, scientifically speaking, there doesn't seem to be a lot that is really new. It's really the scale at which these systems are built. How much data, trillions of words, uh, a fraction of the all the text on the internet. It would take tens of thousands of lifetimes of a human reading to, to get all that information in. And the corresponding scale of these models with trillions of knobs that can be set. That's huge. It's still smaller than the brain. But, but these knobs are very precise, much more than your synapses. So yeah, it's scale, it's engineering, something we couldn't do in, in academia. And the fact that it works so well suggests that there may be just a few elements that, especially related to reasoning, that we're still missing. It's hard to say when we'll figure them out, but it could come quickly. And I don't think society is ready for that. In 2018, you won jointly the, uh, the Turing Award. What was it for? What were you doing? Deep learning. So the, the, the Turing Prize was given to Jeff Hinton, Jan Lucan, and myself because of our contributions to the field of deep learning. We coined the term and uh, we figured out how to train neural nets that would be able to represent richer things. Um, I worked a lot on language. Jan worked a lot on images. Jeff had some of the early ideas to train uh, many layers of neural nets. And then I, I eventually found that there was a simpler way using traditional methods with some little tricks. Uh, my group also found uh, uh, method of introducing attention, which has turned out to be essential uh, and really transformed uh, natural language uh, systems like the ones we see today. So would there be ChatGPT without that work? ChatGPT would not exist with uh, the work we've done. And of course, you know, science is, is the contributions of many, many people. It's, it's engineering, it's, it's scale, but it's also algorithms that did not exist 20 years ago. So in May 2023, you and about 350 other people signed a statement warning about the dangers of AI. Why did you do that? Early on during the winter, playing with ChatGPT, I started worrying that maybe we're not far and what would be the consequences? And I started reading more of the uh, research that's been done to study whether we can build machines that we will not lose control of, that we can control fully. And the horrible realization is we don't know how to do that yet after a decade of research trying to figure it out. And I don't think we have another decade before we reach 
point where machines are smarter than us. Maybe we, maybe, maybe it's going to take more time, but at the rate at which we're progressing, I don't think so. So it's time to raise the alarm. I, you know, we should have done it before, but it, it, it is chat GPT that made it obvious for everyone, but also for scientists like me, and even for the people who have been in, in the middle of the construction of these systems, that we are at a point where it's urgent for society to think through and be wise about how we prevent catastrophes, how this is going to be used, for what purpose, uh, how do we make sure it doesn't blow up in our face? What kind of catastrophes are you thinking about? I mean, there's already harm that's being done by AI because the, these systems don't do what we intend. This is called the alignment problem. And the, you know, people have built systems that were intended to do well in, um, say, face recognition, but they, they didn't intend that they would behave badly on people of color, but this is what has happened. Now, this misalignment between what the humans want and what the machine does can actually get worse as the machines have more capabilities. Let me give you some, some examples uh, from science fiction. Uh, Space uh, Odyssey 2001, HAL 9000, it's smarter than the, at least on some levels, it's smarter than uh, the astronauts that are there. And it has a mission, some military mission. Um, and having such a goal means that it, 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 it can't allow to be turned, can, can't be, uh, can't allow that it be turned off. It, it, it wants to preserve itself to be able to achieve its mission. So when the astronauts think that there is something maybe going wrong with, with um, the AI and think of turning it off, Hal kills one of them and wants to kill the other one and kills the others. So it, as soon as a machine has self-preservation goals, um, and, and, and if these goals are sufficiently strong compared to other goals, then there's a chance that what the machine wants and that what we want, what we need, uh, are not going to be aligned. And so long as this machine isn't smart enough, like, you know, they're, every living being wants to survive, but they're not smarter than us. But if these machines are smarter than us, then we are potentially in danger. So this, this alignment problem we have it all around us, uh, companies making contracts with each other. Um, we build machines that don't do exactly what we want. But when, when those systems become really powerful, this can turn really bad. Um, before we get there, there are other things that may be at least as worrisome um, because they might happen before we even get that chance, which is humans intentionally using very powerful AI systems for nefarious reasons. So the example that was raised at the US Senate and, and that I, I've been also talking about is bioweapons. Right now, it takes a lot of expertise to, to design a new dangerous virus. So very few people in the world can do it. And the, the bad guys typically don't have that expertise. But you can interrogate ChatGPT or maybe the next version and get enough information that you would not otherwise have to design such such dangerous pathogens. 
at least this is the path in which we are. It might be just a couple of years where this is possible. And the bad news is we don't really know how to design these systems to make sure they're not going to output things that could be dangerous, that could help uh, bad actors, for example. Uh, it could help them with bioweapons, it could help them with bio, uh, with um, uh, chemical weapons, could it help them with uh, cyber attacks. Uh, we can think of many kinds of scenarios. And of course, one thing that's worrisome even you know, shorter is the next US election or other elections around the world which could matter, where it doesn't seem far-fetched to think that you take something like these large language models, state-of-the-art, and you can just tune them a little bit and it doesn't take millions of, of uh, expensive machines of compute. You can tune them a little bit for tasks like be a troll that's going to push the needle in, in, you know, uh, and change people's opinions just enough to win the election. Is democracy safe in an AI world? No, no. And it's not because of the AIs, it's because of humans. And because once you give very powerful tools to humans, uh, they will use them in all the possible bad ways. So long as the tools are not uh, so powerful, there are other humans who can counter that, and we have the police, and we have the military, and we have, you know, all kinds of ways to protect ourselves. But if those tools become so powerful that one could kill millions of people with, with them, like, like nuclear weapons, so what do we do with nuclear weapons? Do we make nuclear weapons available to everyone? No. We, we don't do that, obviously. And, and so now it's like we are at the point where we can see in coming years that we'll have something like nuclear weapons, except that it doesn't require nuclear material. It just requires software and hardware, and the software can be downloaded and the hardware can be bought. When Robert Oppenheimer created the first atomic bomb, he famously said that he had become death, the destroyer of worlds. As a creator of AI, do you know how he felt? I, I wasn't there, obviously, but, but I can imagine. Uh, and, and he and others, because it was a group thing, a community of people working together really, really thought that they had to do it because they were afraid that the Germans would build a bomb and it would be worse. Uh, so it, it's not an easy moral situation in which they, they were. One thing that is interesting, and maybe there are some parallels, is that a lot of scientists, AI scientists, are now, like myself, are now realizing, ooh, we have something more dangerous than we expected in our hands, and we have contributed to that. And what it means for me, and, and I think that's what happened with Oppenheimer is we also have a responsibility to speak up and say, this is dangerous. Uh, we need to be very careful. And we can't just, you know, uh, go our usual ways. This is, um, this is something that requires a, a, a you know, wisdom that requires a democratic discussion so that we take the right decisions. You spent much of your career uh, developing AI. So do you have any regrets about the direction that AI has gone and your role in it? Well, 
regrets. Uh, maybe if I had known how things would unroll, I, I would have started thinking about AI safety earlier. But but I didn't anticipate the, the, the speed at which things moved. Um, so maybe regret is not the right word. It's more like I feel compelled to do something about it. I feel like people who understand how these things work have an extra duty to think about how we can uh, you know, preserve humanity and democracy. So that's, that's what I want to do. Let's talk about that then. How, how do we preserve it? How do we put the right brakes on and put the right regulations in place? So first, we need to hurry because as I said, there are chances that these systems could be used as soon as in the coming year or two. And, and, and then as they get stronger, the danger grows. So what can we do? Um, the most immediate danger, I think, is not loss of control. The most immediate danger are uh, malicious users. So we want to reduce the number of people who have access to dangerous technology. Frankly, I don't think that the strategy of making your trained models and code available to everyone is wise. At least there is a threshold where we should say, no, this is too dangerous. And I made like little calculations that say something like, if we reduce the, the number of people who have access to, to these systems uh, by say a thousand times, we can win almost as much in the probability of something bad happening. So this is the first thing we need to do. We need to control access. We need to have licensing. Um, we need that the people who are licensed to operate these systems also have duties of documenting what they're doing and uh, using tests to evaluate the potential harm as well as what is it they're doing to mitigate those harms and potentially not be allowed to deploy something that could be dangerous. So it's basically don't release the code is the main Well, that's the first thing, yes. But we also need to license the um, people and organization that are going to be developing these things. Can the big tech companies that are developing AI be the only ones to be overseeing it? Or do we need government input? No, it, it's clear that it needs government input. I, uh, I think what's going on right now in the US with the commitment that companies, uh, some companies have, have taken is a good step, but, but it, it's good to the extent that we don't have legislation yet. It, it, we need legislation for a number of reasons. We need legislation because it, it has to apply to every company. Um, we need legislation to clarify where do you put the bar? Because right now it's just like some nice words, or so we'll be careful. But no, we need some concrete um, benchmarks that say this this you can this you can put in open source because open source is a good thing, but this is too dangerous, um, or uh, this system could be exploited by uh, terrorists, and so. No, this is not acceptable. But this has to be quantified, and it's going to take some effort. Those companies are already building those kinds of tests. 
So it's not like we're starting from zero, but we need to, uh, to make that uh, you know, the same for all the companies. Then we can't stop at the US. It has to be something that we uh, do for the whole world, especially right now, the countries where there is capacity for large AI systems, notably China and some European countries, um, the UK, uh, France, Germany, but ultimately every country, because if there are regulations in a few countries that say you're not allowed to do that, you can just, you know, software and hardware is easy, easy to move in, move in a different country. And then computer viruses or biological viruses don't see borders, right? They will just go through. So ultimately we need international uh, treaties with the international community coming and, and setting up um, minimal guardrails for safety for everyone. Um, the other thing we need is research because we don't even know for sure how to make, how to build powerful AI systems that are safe, that are not going to become autonomous by themselves, that, um, that can't be exploited for nefarious purposes. We don't know how to do that. There are different proposals, different companies do things, but really there's a lot of unknowns. And so what I've asked the Senate is we need to invest globally, could be companies, governments, some mix, at least as much on protecting the public, democracy, humanity, in other words, safety, as we are in improving the intelligence, the capabilities of these AI systems. And right now it's, I don't know, it's probably a ratio of 100 to one. So that, that's, that's like the urgent thing that is an investment to protect us so that we can design the right regulation in the first place. And then the other recommendation I have is also maybe a little bit longer term, but even if we had regulation, it's not gonna be foolproof. Somewhere someone is going to do something stupid, um, maybe intentionally, maybe unintentionally, and we need to prepare for that. What kind of countermeasures should we start doing research on, thinking that there will be dangerous AIs with malicious goals out there in, in maybe a few years? How long do we have to, to get this right? Well, the, the, the problem is we don't know the rate at which things are gonna progress, but we need to plan for the worst. And that could be just a few years, maybe three, four, five years. If we're lucky, maybe it's gonna be 20 years, but I can't say, and we don't wanna bet humanity's future or you know, huge catastrophes and you know, threatening democracy on, oh, this scientist thinks it's gonna be 20 years, this scientist thinks it's gonna be five years. No, we, we, we have to, the stakes are so high, we have to, to invest in protection as soon as possible. Has this made you think differently about your research and the avenues that you want to take it? Yes, yes, and, and, and I'm not yet completely sure what I should do, but I'm sure I need to change my path, my research path. So clearly I, I want to spend a lot more time uh, working on AI safety. So there's, there's already rich literature. I need to like read a lot more than I have already. Uh, I need to see where I can help the most. 
I also would like to help with uh, countermeasures because that's so that's maybe the more technical thing. I'm not I'm not a policy person. I'm a I'm a computer scientist. And um, yeah, and 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 also thinking of what kinds of organizations are needed and to carry that kind of research moving forward. Is AI humanity's greatest threats? Do you think? We need different people to work on different threats. We, we need to deal with climate change. But climate change is much more predictable than the dangers of AI. The world is not going to you know, go completely crazy in the next five years with climate change. It's going to get worse and worse slowly. So in the long run, we need to do that and we need to start now. thing with AI is there's a lot more uncertainty so we need to do a lot more research, but we need to also start the preventative measures now. So because of my expertise, um, I, you know, I've been working on AI to fight climate change and I'd like to continue that kind of work, but, but I feel like where I can make the most difference is in protecting the public. Wonderful, thank you very much.